14 minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro, the wrap of the top business stories. And joining me to take a look at what's been happening in the world of money is Snesipo Maninjwa, uh, independent market commentator, analyst, and CA. Snesipo, good evening to you and welcome. Hey, Aya, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, good. Let's maybe start off here with a very interesting survey uh, that, uh, and some of the insights that came through from that. A survey put together by McKinsey and Company here in South Africa. Now, uh, one of the things they looked at was uh, not just the rise of e-commerce, but um, I guess with that, the rise of uh, these partnerships around delivery pickup points, because I, I certainly don't know about you, but I always have the frustration of having to receive calls if I'm, you know, to get... Um, a specific order delivered and uh, there's this expectation that i must be at home like uh, there's this idea that you know yeah we're going to deliver it on a certain day and when you ask what time people can't tell you they just say you know we're going to come through on that day um and it seems many consumers have uh, i guess opted for the you know uh, option to go and collect it and pick it up themselves and uh, this seems uh, to be i guess a trend that uh, mckinsey and many others are starting to follow rather closely mm. Yes, also because um, it's quite simply, actually. It has to do with the cost of the logistics for delivery point. I think we're at the, we're at the point of e-commerce, specifically online shopping, which is very much in, a, in its growth phase. And within its growth phase, even if you look at the financial statements of uh, NASPERS or admitted delivery, they're still not breaking even. So the idea of using pickup points as a way to cut costs and uh, be more accessible to the consumer has been also on the growth trajectory. And also, don't forget, Ayabonga, sometimes it's also important to understand the social structures of the South African consumers. Not very many people are available to be at home all day. Even in the new um, way of working, i.e. led by COVID, very few people um, have the flexibility of being at home or then being able to wait for deliveries. And it's more convenient for them to just be told, okay, come get it here and you'll be able to pick it up. I think that's sort of where it's growing towards. And again, this is just, um, it's, it's, it's a function of our specific um, social economic uh, structures. This is not the same in the more developed market, by the way. It's just as, just as. Yeah. And I guess it speaks volumes just about the nature of social inequity in South Africa, which uh, it seems, you know, one of the entities here, Pargo, has been able, I guess, to overcome some of the challenges uh, when it comes to distance learning. Uh, what happened there? And I guess it's sort of one of the things that one would have hoped the post office uh, would have caught on to. Um, a lot of it has to be with um, getting access to your... Um, your 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 documents for school wise for school for school information and again um, we would love 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 because Pago is one of the biggest because they've got about two thousand five hundred pickup points and you these are some of the developments that the post office should have been doing but as you call up <laughs> it really these are one of the things that the post office should have been doing but as you call up. Mm. You know, because for me, me, they've got the footprint to execute on this. And a lot of people still have post boxes, actually. Mm, And mm, a lot of people pay for those at the start of the year. So let's do this. Uh, Let's take a brief pause now and uh, take a a quick spot break. When we come back, I want us to take a look at uh, Time Bank. 
uh, which of course uh, partners with the likes of Boxer Superstores and the Pick and Pay Group, uh, who've now made a foray into the world of lending. And uh, we're going to find out how they've done this. And we'll also take a look at uh, some of the regulatory guidance that has come through from uh, the uh, Prudential Authority, uh, the PA there to some of the South African banks. We'll uh, take a look at all of that when we come back after this. Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And Snesipo Manindra joins me uh, to take a look at uh, some of these stories. Snesipo, I want us to maybe start off with that story there from the uh, Prudential Authority. And uh, many people would know that there was some guidance uh, given uh, encouraging banks to uh, preserve capital and uh, you know to keep their uh, liquidity and capital ratios in check. There was some relief they received as well. But um, I guess a lot of that relief uh, followed by... A very strong instructions not to pay out dividends, not to, you know, uh, I guess, you know, pay um, executive bonuses and all manner of other uh, distributions of cash upwards, um, you know, uh, as I like to think about it. Uh, it seems now that uh, they've been given the green light, I guess, subject to some consideration uh, to, uh, I guess, start to pay out dividends and executive bonuses again. Yes, um, remember this was driven by the uh, by the expectation of the economic impact of COVID, and the fact that banks would be under pressure, would be under pressure, and that um, they they were advised to conserve as much cash as possible. But uh, this is just my opinion. Um, although not not all banks. Uh, pay dividends. All of them did um, pay out remuneration. Specifically, they looked at deferral schemes. So it's not like the executives did not get their money. It just mm. was deferred. And first rand, yeah, first rand yeah. had its own story. Yes. Yeah, they, they even so, had sort of COVID bonus type of arrangement. Yes, they even had COVID bonuses. So, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I think that's sort of like where it was. And you know, I understood the guidance, the guidance for me, the impact of COVID uh, for me are, are yet to be fully affected. I don't think we are at the point where we can, um, can, can calculate the amount. And I'm hesitant to sort of say everything is fine now because it's not exactly. Mm. Is I this think too early? I mean, did, did this come in too early? Yeah, I just think it's very short-sighted, but I do understand the pressure of trying to, which they must be under, because a lot of um, them are saying that we didn't have the right offs that we thought that we would. But again, again, if you look at the definitions of right offs, and there was a significant amount of rescheduling of loans, that is just a bomb waiting to explode any day now, and so. For me, I do believe it's short-sighted, and I think it's too early on in the process. But I'm not the Prudential Authority. Yeah, yeah. I do not have a master's in mathematics and economics. So, however, when I look at mm. where, I just don't think we're out of the woods yet. I, I think that yeah, there's and, just, and and I, I don't think yeah. you need to have all of those things to have an opinion. I mean, well, one of the reasons why this thing was put into place in in, in the first place was to give enough you know, uh, breathing and lending room to give some support to the real economy. And I think many South Africans, were, without some of these big qualifications that you are talking about, are asking themselves, you know, what role, if any, has the bank played um, in playing out that role when the real economy needs it really and ensuring that, you know, it can, I guess, smooth the oils of, uh, or, or sorry, oil the wheels of production um, in a way that keeps many factories open, many businesses open. Mm. 
No, like I think one I think one of the things we just have to be cognizant of is that there hasn't been significant lending in the real economy, even with the government aided program specifically. I'm speaking about the two hundred billion um reserve bank uh, treasury guaranteed facilities. There wasn't sufficient take up because the banks were not just were not the correct vehicle or the correct outlet for that type of relief. And for me, when I look at where you're looking uh, for me, that's why I always look at the rescheduled loans. Because I always believe that's where the true reality is, is that if you're restructuring a, a significant portion of your book and you're not growing your assets, your assets and you're increasing your um, your your bad debt book, that for me is not, um, a, this is not for me a scenario where you should be paying out dividends or should consider paying out dividends. Mm-hmm. Nor should we be looking at, um, like I said, we're not out of the woods yet, and um, it, 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 there's just too much in the air. I'm, 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 by nature, I'm quite conservative when I look at these things, and I just feel that there's there's just so much to do that we cannot be taking those steps forward. And, I, mm-hmm. and furthermore, I've never been a believer in dividends if there's a growth story, so... Yeah, but but Snezi, surely, I mean, with the reluctance that you have, um, you would be assured by some of the considerations that the Prudential Authority felt that banks should take into account before they pay these dividends uh, or these executive bonuses, which is the adequacy of their current capital and projected capital and profitability levels, their internal capital targets, I guess their risk profile or appetite, and of course, uh, you know, the last one, uh, wait, let me finish the point, the last one, which I think you can't really measure, which is the current and potential future risks that could come you know, from the global pandemic, which is something I don't think many people in the financial markets are probably equipped to be able to assess. Mm, so I agree. So I think with the Prudential Authority, we're mentioning the same things, but I just don't believe that we're there. But because you can't quantify the risk, you can sort of look at it. It's an unknown factor when you're doing your, um, your capital adequacy calculation. We are all taking guesstimates right now. We have two schools of thoughts. You've got the stock market, which has rapidly recovered, but you've got the real economy, which speaks to when you look at your factors such as your GDP, your producer, price inflation, your manufacturing index, all of these show contraction. And for me, that's where the exposure majority is in the real economy. It's in the real economy and the auxiliary industries around it. Then you've got and that's also just the fact that you've had a significant amount of um, job retrenchments. And you're not feeling it now because of retrenchment packages. But the minute that safety net runs out, because we all know that that safety net is only for um, a short term, and it, it, it's dependent on the economy reopening and the jobs getting reabsorbed, you are sort of, that's why I, that's sort of for me, that's where the unknown factor is. When I just look at the equation, I look at the equation, so that's where I'm more, I, I rather stick to the more conservative view, the conservative view, because we just don't understand how big the hole is. Sure, sure, sure. I and I guess, yeah, I mean, the, the point I was making was that, you know, if uh, one of the considerations is that, you know, we'll try and make sense of the current and future implications of, of the pandemic, I don't think... Uh, a lot of people outside of, you know, very sort of specialized skills in the economy have, you know, the capability to do that in a way that isn't a guesstimate, as you're suggesting. But Snezibo, let's shift away from this one. 
uh, mm. because I want to sustain the banking sector and take a look at Time Bank. Now, um, yeah, this is uh, African Rainbow Capital's uh, subsidiary here and a very interesting partnership with the Pick and Pay Group and uh, some of its boxes, superstores, 2.5 million uh, uh, you know, uh, users here. And um, of that, around 1.5 million are active users of the accounts. They've now gone into lending, but probably not in the traditional unsecured way that we might think of that. Um, so eventually, Time Bank, as you know, um, again, you can't get, so even if you've got active users, the issue is that you, the, the key with Time Bank when you're analyzing Time Bank is the average uh, deposit, which shows that the people are not, so someone will have um, an account at Time Bank, but not use it as their main account. So in order to incentivize salary earners, that's where they're trying to get. They're trying to get into not salary earners. I mean, they're trying to get into the wage economy. You've got to offer borrowing. You sort of have no choice. And it's sort of the same um, thinking that was behind, that propelled the growth story of Capitec, which you've got to offer the borrowing. And unfortunately, I find it predatory to use, to attach borrowing near for the consumption of food. I find it quite predatory. That's just me personally. So so, so they've said Snesip, I mean, it's quite similar to the airtime advance that some of these telcos have. Um, yeah. You, you again, feel that's predatory. I, yeah. I find the whole concept quite predatory. I just can't get the ethics behind I just can't get over the ethics behind it. Same because for, for me, you, you sort of, you, you are sort of penalizing someone and you're putting them in a perpetual cycle. It's part of the reasons why I never liked Net One, the whole income advancing, and now mm. you're adding groceries to the mix, understanding that most people, specifically in the segment that they are targeting, um, have spent majority of their income on the three legs of, which is transport, communication, and food. So for me, once you start attacking those basic necessities, I just, I find the whole concept quite predatory. I, I find it and I, I just, I can't get over it. And I, I do think that they should be, I'm not, I'm not upset that Time Bank offers borrowing. I just don't assume their proximity to a certain grocery brand just allows them to, just, it, mm. it, it, it ends up being a predatory relationship. But I guess, you know, the, it's all around this idea of uh, the convergence of telecoms, retailers and others into the broader financial services place. Um, and, you know, if you look at some of the data that came through from Vodacom, I mean, it's quite interesting how big a chunk or how growing a chunk uh, financial services revenues are uh, to their broader revenue mix. So, so it seems this kind of thing is going to be with us for a while. But I, I like the point you're making that, you know, the moment it's linked up to a massive grocery retailer, then it certainly takes on a very sort of different dynamic. But, um, you know, w when you look at what they've done here, Snesipo, and you look at their plans that they had um, for 2020, which was the launch of an unsecured product, how far does this get them, I guess, to to a full launch of that product? Because it seems like they're taking an approach before they actually go in proper. Yes, it's, 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 it's the only way you can build a business. You take your baby steps, it, you baby steps it, and mm -mm. it's sort of like... Smaller guys can do that. If yeah, you're walking in with a box of superstars, you go in, you go in big. <laughs> no, but you don't, because you need to test your theory. You, you need to remember, it's any business, there's required capital investment. And remember, 
Prime Bank doesn't have the ability, doesn't have the massive pockets. Granted, country Mali has cash, but they don't have the massive pockets where they can oh. sort of, like the other big banks where they can launch immediately, they have to sort of test their theory. I believe that their theory will work based on the current, um, the, the proposed business model. I see mm. it working. I do not okay. see it not working. I see it working okay. very, 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 very what, well. What did you call him there? The National Smiley. What, what did you call him? It was national smile. It was national smile. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Before we let you go, because the avenue uh, with uh, the national smile, and I think uh, many of our listeners know who we're making reference to, uh, the Patrice Mutsepe from African Rainbow Capital. Uh, but let's take a look at Sasol's results. I mean, uh, I certainly haven't had a chance to speak in any glowing and positive terms about Sasol in a long time. Um, I think what has happened at Lake Charles and, uh, you know, the exodus and uh, the musical chairs at the top of the business uh, has certainly, I guess, made for some very horrible reading in the last while. But it seems the interims that they put out on Sense today, um, I guess, uh, some silver lining there in that cloud. Mm. No, so it's not really silver lining because if you look at profits, profits are down, cash flow is down. The only thing that is up is down is debt. So debt is down. Debt is down. Everything is down. So I think, remember, they went through a very massive last year. They went through that big drop. And what they did is that they allowed, the first thing they did is that they looked to sell assets. They sold Mozambique. They sold another South American operation, another American operation. They sold half of Lake Charles. And they're still on a disposal. They're on a disposal spree, and they went through a massive cost-cutting exercise, a massive cost-cutting exercise, just to bring their debt position down. And also, what also helped them with their liquidity was that they asked for uh, the banks to relax their covenants because they'd been breaching covenants. But so, if you look at where they are, their share price is 100 to 200 rand. I checked just before the show. 200 rand. It's a massive recovery from the beginning of the year and from historic lows. But it's still 50% lower than January 2020. So um, the management of Sasol announced that they will not be doing a right offer because they believe they have sufficient liquidity, when the real reason is I don't think they have sufficient support for a right offer. Mm-hmm. Literally. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, although yeah. there's been a recovery, short-term recovery in the share price, if you go do a comparison of 18 months, three years, five years, you will be crying and you will not support the rights offer because ultimately a rights offer will always be priced lower at the share price and that there's no significant um, guarantee that there will, be, um, there will be an appreciation of the share price going forward. Furthermore, the big two shareholders, as I like to call them, where the government, PIC and IDC, you could not execute a right off without their consent. And we've, mm. we've no, it's, 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 uh, yeah, well, you must just look at the numbers here. Yeah, I like PR, but I also like for us to be very realistic about the PR that we have. The PR that we have, there has been a recovery in the oil price, but for long term anchor investors. So, Shazo is not a share that your short term um, opportunists jump into. So, they've got a very long long-term shareholder. If you're a long-term sure, shareholder, sure. you would not support any rights offer because it will be mm. a further dilution to you and you would have been 
crystallizing your losses. Yeah. So let's, before I let you go, I mean, let, let's talk here about Cecil, just also from an operational perspective. I mean, um, a few gas plays out in Mozambique, and uh, I think many, some of our listeners would be familiar. They've got uh, quite a significant uh, um, sort of gas to fuel operation out in uh, Namban province in Mozambique. It seems mm-hmm. now that they uh, might be able to sell some of that uh, in Mozambique, and uh, I guess whatever remains, you know, we'll pipe that through out to Secunda. Yes, um, yeah, they're looking to sell mainly because of there's been issues in Mozambique. Remember those terrorist attacks, and there's been significant violence. There and are still issues. There are still issues in Mozambique. They, they have been. They are still yeah. there, but you know we talk about them. Um, so, if you look at from just a geopolitical perspective, Mozambique is just they just the risks don't warrant it right now. And from a societal perspective, they significant capital that needs to be put into that project and if you look at where they are balance sheet wise and where they are strategy wise the, the risk doesn't meet the reward so they're looking to exit that and yeah and use it to use the proceeds to pay down debt and i think that's also the the, the, the issue about it it's just the tension there is just i i something must yeah. be done and, and the fact that it's not one of those points that are highlighted often mm. people people always forget that our neighbors this is what's going on right next door sure 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 so simple, we've, we've got about 30 more seconds and uh, i want to use that 30 seconds just to get your perspective on um, big expectations from uh, the don from mahubas um for his uh, i guess budget uh, presentation on wednesday uh, any big things that you're expecting i mean a lot of people i guess um have talk, uh, have spoken about the revenue side of things and uh, better than expected collections on the back of uh, better than expected commodity prices but when it comes to the expenditure side i guess that's where that's where the big issues are what are you expecting from tito on wednesday okay so what i'm thinking is uh number one i'm expecting a tax increase and i'm also looking at um different um different things that are coming out big thing that I'm looking at is Section 12J, will that be rollovered? Um, big thing looking in that, looking increasing the tax and providing the taxation of cryptocurrency. Another thing that mm. I'm also looking at is um, definitely looking at any incentives for small businesses, but ultimately, uh, taxes need to go up. I see that mind. I see that mind. Like, I I'm out here waiting for that solidarity tax. I'm out here waiting for. Well, I, I, um, it's not going to come from me. I bought. Sugar tax. Five percent, top five percent of the one percent. I am not Let's top five percent. I am. Let's poor. leave it there. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Let's like, leave it there. Um, I know. I know. When I talk to you this time next week, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bukumbile with uh, with a wealth tax. Uh, I, I'm certainly holding thumbs for that one. But Snazi, <laughs> we're gonna have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. As always, a pleasure catching up with you, Snazi Bomaninjwa, independent market commentator, CA, and analyst, uh, helping us uh, with our business wrap on this Monday.